Today's episode is brought to you by Surfing A, a Canadian freshwater surfing magazine created by the Central Canadian Surfing Association. The CCSA strives to develop, promote, support, and bring together the Canadian freshwater surfing communities and its athletes. Issue three of Surfing A is available for purchase at the Central Canadian Surfing Association's Facebook page and at Surf Ontario. We acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded, ancestral, and occupied traditional territory of the Anishinaabe Nation, the people of the three fires known as Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi Nations. And furthermore, we thank the Chippewa of Saugeen and the Chippewa of Nawash, now known as the Saugeen Ojibwe Nation, who are the traditional keepers of this land. As we live, work, surf, and play, we say mahalo to the Métis, Inuit, and Indigenous peoples of Turtle Island and from around the world who have stewarded these lands and sacred surf spots for thousands of years. We recognize their amazing resilience in the face of ongoing oppression and injustice. We believe that for true healing to occur, we must reflect and make serious changes while working together as we move forward in truth and reconciliation. We can be better. We can do better. Aloha, freshies. Welcome to Permastoked. I'm your host, Derek Hyatt. In this podcast, we talk to surfers and stand-up paddleboarders from across the Great Lakes, Canada, the U.S., and beyond. We take a peek into their lives and find out what it means to be stoked. Is it a natural state of euphoria, elation, a relentless commitment? I also talk to other permastoked individuals, such as artists, entrepreneurs, filmmakers, musicians, philanthropists, yogis, and much more. Join us each week in learning from these experts and enthusiasts while being inspired by their undying passion, insights, and rad tales. Permastoked is presented by Freshwater Surf Goods, your surf brand devoted to spreading the stoke across the unsalted seas and cultivating pride amongst the surf community. We do this by providing products and apparel that celebrate the awesomeness of both Great Lakes and Canadian surf culture. Stand out in the tribe by rocking our gear. But hey, don't just stand around on the beach looking cool. Check out our Stoke Academy and try surfing and stand-up paddleboarding. Get away into beautiful Owen Sound, Sauble Beach, or Grey Bruce, where we offer Paddle Canada certified basic and advanced sub courses, tours, sub surfing, and even beginner surfing lessons. Visit www.freshwatersurfgoods.com to sign up for your freshwater fantasy today. Want to get your zen on? Check out SUP Yoga and our Great Vibes Yoga, Meditation, and Healing classes. Aloha is a life force energy of loving and living in harmony. Through movement, meditation, and breath, our classes allow you to connect with your true self so you can spread great vibrations and the spirit of aloha throughout the global consciousness. Enjoy community and a chill atmosphere filled with great vibes and sacred ancient teachings delivered with humor and integrity. Freshies, you are in for a real treat, I'm telling you. In this episode, it's pretty much like a masterclass. We talked with Scotty Sharon, East Coast freelance photographer and former associate editor at SBC Surf Magazine. 
I'm sure you've seen his name many times under those beautiful pictures in all those surf photos. Scotty Sharon, the man. He's here today and we talk about surf photography. We talk about the surf industry. We go into topics like ethical angling, um, Scotty's love for Sasquatch. This is a great episode. Honestly, I'm not going to lie. This is like a, a master class for any aspiring photographers. You need to listen up and listen good because you go to school in this episode and, and it's a great one. So really pay attention and enjoy this episode. I had a blast recording it with Scotty. Uh, my new friend, my new pal on the East Coast. So Scotty has always found inspiration from being outside and around water. He's a creative picture taker. He's a movie maker, storyteller. And as a former intern at Surfing Magazine, he now lives in Lunenburg, Nova Scotia, home of Blue Nose Schooner. And this is where he has his home base for surf exploration, travel, lifestyle, fishing, in all his commercial projects. Some of his clients, you may have seen his work with Lululemon, Yeti, Red Bull, Smith Optics, Reddington, Fishing, the James Brand, Smart Wool, Jack Links, Surfing Magazine, SBC Surf Magazine, Surfer Magazine, Vice Magazine, Eastern Surf Magazine, Explore Magazine, wow, lots of magazines, The Walrus, Globe and Mail, Diego, Tourism Nova Scotia, and the CBC. This episode was recorded on January 25th, 2021, and it's family-friendly. Enjoy. Scotty Sharon, welcome to Permastoke, bro. How's it going, dude? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Derek. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Nice man. I'm gr I'm grateful to have you speaking to us from whereabouts in Nova Scotia. I'm uh, just outside Lunenburg, so south of Halifax. Ah, Lunenburg. That's got to be like my favorite town out there, man. That's where the Blue Nose Schooner is docked. You, you got it. It's uh yeah, home to the Blue Nose. It's a pretty rad place to be. I was living in the city for a, a good chunk of time. I went to Dalhousie University and just needed a bit of a change and my wife and I moved down here a couple of years ago and bought a house and the rest is history so oh sweet I know I forget what the name of the road is but you got you got that main drag and then like if I'm looking at the main drag and if it were an L shape over here there's a hotel that I stayed at I don't know what it was called hotel with a restaurant in it and man they had the best freaking lobster there when I was there. Anyhow, it's pretty hard to find bad seafood here. <laughs> I would, I would kind of imagine that. Yeah. It, Lunenburg changes like crazy too. Like there's a whole, the main drag, there's a, like a raw seafood bar and cocktail bar. There's like a takeout fish and chips place. There's like the place you go for like pan fried haddock and chowder. And it's all, I mean, during the warmer months, like tourist season, I mean, this year is a little different, but it's usually just chocolate block epic views good weather and yeah. yeah beautiful town though it's like the epitome of what you imagine nova scotia to look like it is it is i definitely feel like that way I, although like i have a pretty big soft spot for cape breton as well and, oh, and okay the eastern shore is pretty pretty rad too i i would say the more i've been pretty lucky to travel 
just the nature of what I do and stuff. And I find the more I travel, the more I realize how lucky I do have it back home in Canada. Wow. Like, yeah, that's some perspective coming from a guy who's been to like Iceland and all over the place. I, I guess so. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, even surf wise. Like, I mean, it's the Atlantic ocean. So we, it's a little more fickle than the Pacific, but um, I still wouldn't switch it. It's, it's home. It's great. It's nice. What I know. <laughs> hey, speaking of the blue nose schooner, um, I've asked other people this question before and they had no idea what I was talking about. But when you were in grade school, did you have like a house point system where like the school is divided up into teams, like say maybe four teams and you guys kind of compete throughout the year against each other and you accumulate what they call house points. And at the end of the year, it's like, oh, the Hawks won and they get a big pizza party or something like that. Did you, did you have anything like that? I don't know. Was it like school spirit based? Like what, what, what did, how did you earn points? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, well, if you did something good in class, for example, um, if you went out of your way to help somebody, you might get house points. And so when I went to, when I was in grades one to four, I went to a school called Mill Street Public School in Leamington. And my team was called the Blue Nose Schooners. That's awesome. So that's, that's why I bring it up. And we <laughs> freaking destroyed, man. I was like, our team, we destroyed sports, uh, academics, everything. We were so good. And then I went to this other school from grades five to eight called Margaret D. Benny. And I got put on the Sharks. And they blew. Like, <laughs> I went from winning to bottom of the barrel. So It's got to be the name. It's got to be the Blue Nose name. Yeah, I, man. It's funny. I, a lot of people, uh, I guess maybe you don't know this, but I actually grew up in Ontario and moved out here to go to school. So. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, uh, it, I, it, I feel like Ontario changes a lot, but I definitely have a soft spot for it. I think it's even just like seeing what's happening with the surf scene and stuff over there. Like, I didn't surf when I when I was living there, but now I'd love to go back because I feel like I know a lot of the spots just from like passing by or yeah. So whereabouts are you from in Ontario? Uh, I grew up just outside Peterborough. Oh, okay. So Stony Lake. I don't know. It's in the Kortha Kortha Lakes, cottage no. country. Nice, amazing. Yeah. Do you get back there ever? Or I don't. I don't. We. Uh, my parents actually moved out here. Oh, okay. Three years ago, so I, we've pretty much. The Sharon family has uh, relocated. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. All right, man. So let's just get right into it. So, dude, Scotty Sharon, I've been, uh, you know, surfing for 20 years. And I don't remember when it was exactly, but at, at some point in my life, I got a copy of SBC Surf Magazine. And that was awesome and, and such a great uh magazine while it was around and that's when i started seeing your seeing your name like everywhere man always at the bottom of pictures and the magazine and then uh online and whatnot and then you know i was even watching some uh logan landry videos and you were popping up in in some of those so so maybe just uh you know tell us a bit about yourself and how did you get into surfing? I mean, it's got to be a good story as well, being a guy from Ontario and yeah. you know, not growing up in California or anything. So, Well, first, let me say thank you. It's, uh, I mean, we can, I wish SBC was still around because 
pretty dear to my heart. I had my first ever published surf photo, actually first ever published photo ever um, was actually an SBC magazine. And I had no idea what I was doing. I got total, total fluke and, and managed to get a really great shot of Nico Manos and, and the, the rest was history. So um, getting into surfing, I guess I got into surfing before I started taking photos, which is pretty cool. I did mm. not a lot of surf photographers. Well, maybe not. I shouldn't, I should be careful what I say. I don't want to, you know, start the hate already, but um, I was surprised to learn that. <laughs> That's okay. Any- I had uh, Dom Domic <laughs> and Noah Cohen on here. Oh, I'm sweet then. I can and say they were throwing <laughs> they were throwing shade at the East Coast, man. So uh, you're allowed a little bit. Right on. Well, I was surprised that like not every surf photographer surfed because I to, to me it's like, well, why would you get into it? But anyways, so I started surfing before um, I started taking photos and. Uh, I used to sail competitively. I used to be uh, on the Canadian junior sailing team, sailing lasers. Um, wow. So I used to, I used to travel. I did a lot of like correspondence high school. So I was always in Florida. Uh, and just some of the locals that we were training against in Florida, you know, had surfboards and I grew up snowboarding and skateboarding. And I thought it would be a natural kind of progression to, to take that on. And <clears throat> that was kind of my first experience with it. And then, when I graduated high school, I uh, came out east to Dalhousie University, and I mean, how can you not surf out here? It's 20 minutes from the city, and that's really where it took off. Um, so was that like Lawrencetown or Martinique Beach that you were going out to? Yeah, Lawrencetown. Like initially, I think anyone that like when you first kind of like land in Nova Scotia, Lawrencetown. If you talk about being a surfer, that's like where everyone will point you, and Martinique Beach as well. It's just it's super accessible in terms of like consistency. There's always waves there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you start to realize, and this is kind of what got me into the photography thing is like, man, we're so lucky to have the coastline we do. Like if you're willing to put the time in and miss, you know, a couple great days at the waves, you know, in pursuit of the ones you don't, mm-hmm. um, there's pretty magical places out there. So I started following around Nico, um, and another guy, Neil Durling, he was kind of one of the OG, uh, I guess like slab chasers, you could say in Nova Scotia. And we started finding these like waves of consequence and waves that I really had no interest in having, in having a swing at. So I, I had gotten a camera, um, as like a graduation gift and from high school. And I just started taking a couple of pictures and that's. So no, no formal training at this point. Not really. I mean, I dabbled um, in high school. I took an art program and we had a dark room, which was pretty cool. But I would be lying to you if I said that I had formal training and that kind of came in later. So following Nico and Neil and, and actually Logan was uh, coming up at the time as well. He was a younger, I don't think Logan could drive that. I think we kind of mm. like drove him around, <laughs> uh, which is kind of funny. Um, it was around the same time that SBC was kind of coming out in it in it, I guess like its first debut issue. So that was when Jeremy Kresge was the photo editor and Malcolm Johnson was the editor. And my whole kind of like photo education, I fully owe to Jeremy Kresge. So I would send him a batch of photos from the East Coast. And I mean most photo editors will just send you if you get a reply, it'll be a yes or a no. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not much more in depth than that. But Jer would actually take the time to go through the photos and be like, oh I really like this one. Uh, and here's why, or like this one I'm not super fond of. And like, maybe next time try this. Uh, so I feel pretty lucky to get, you know, or have gotten that experience, uh, which led 
ultimately to my first photo being published. In this so year. for anybody listening, Jeremy Koreski, if I'm correct, he's a Tofino-based photographer. Pretty yes. sure he's got a studio right next door to Storm Surf Shop. You got it. Yeah. That's exactly okay. where it is. And so he and was one of the founders of SBC Surf? He, he wasn't a founder. It was a, he was the first photo editor. So I okay. guess he was like one of the main, I would imagine there was a, a business kind of with investors behind it. Because SBC, the name comes from Snowboard Canada. Okay. Uh, and then Skateboard Canada. So that's where the SBC comes from. And then there's a bunch of other titles that they brought on later. Oh, so did it mean Surfboard Canada when I, you guys I were doing it? <laughs> Here's a dig to the BC folks. We always used to laugh because Jer and Malcolm were both from the West Coast. We, we always would be choked if there was like more West Coast content in the magazine. So like the issues that came out where it was like 75 or 80% Tofino, we used to call it Surf BC. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to lie. I think I always kind of thought British Columbia when I saw the magazine. And well, I guess it was always on the cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But um, yeah, so that, that was lucky. And with that kind of came hand-me-down gear as well from Jer. So, I mean, photography is not a cheap undertaking. So any, no. any help you can get uh, in that regard is, is huge. So I'm pretty indebted to him for that. So I got a border collie just putting toys on my lap right now, which I guarantee you will not stop. <laughs> I'm hearing like this jingle jangling. Kind of, yeah. And you're doing something under there. Right on. That's all good, man. So, so that was sort of when you started um, coming into SBC and you were working with some pretty incredibly talented um, photographers themselves. Yeah. Um, Tell me, now you mentioned about, you know, being a surfer and also being a photographer. One of the things that fascinates me is the taking photos from the water. Those guys that are bouncing around out in the water, you know, ducking under boards and stuff like that. Have you done much of that as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I actually, I have a hard time. I don't, I don't think until you shoot in the water, you can call yourself a surf photographer. That might just be like my like the way that I gauge it. But like, I remember, I, again, staying true to, you know, my form, like my first water housing was a hand-me-down water housing, previously loved, we'll say. Um, and I remember getting it and just being so excited to, to like swim out and shoot photos. Cause I, you know, you always see, everyone has idols and like, I think photographers are no different. So, you know, you'd flip through the surfer magazines or the surfing magazines or trans world. And you'd, you know, everyone would have a favorite, <clears throat> just like, you know, surfers have favorite surfers. Like I had favorite surf photographers that I would try. Yeah. Uh, and and push. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so that was pretty cool. Seth Stafford was always a, a big favorite of mine. He was on uh, staff with Transworld for a really long time. Um, Pete Terrace. I was actually fortunate enough when I left uh, Nova Scotia, I was offered an internship at Surfing Magazine for a year. So I interned actually at Surfing Magazine in California, which is pretty oh, cool. Oh, wow. Um, and got to work right under Pete Terrace, which is, again, Pete's a phenomenal photographer, editor. Uh, he's definitely learned a lot from him as well. But, mm. yeah. So this is later on, California. You did do some formal training? I guess, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think everything – I've been really lucky to be at the right place at the right time. So just as a product of, like, you know, exploring Nova Scotia and kind of doing things that are a little bit different, I, I mean – if you get snow and, and surf, that's like a pretty winning combination. And 
to, to like the rest of the world, you know, it might be a normal thing for us to like put on a, a six mil and like, you know, five mil gloves and eight mil boots or something and swim out. But like the rest of the world, people think you're absolutely nuts and out of your mind. Okay. Um, and photographically speaking, like I still get so excited when we get a swell that like coincides with like a fresh snow, just mm. the beauty of it is insane. Like obviously like the white and the blue of the ocean, but then you also get like these crazy lines that happen on the beach. Like if the tide was high and then goes out, there's like this perfect like symmetry almost to like where the snow is like stops and the ocean starts, like all that stuff still gets me pretty excited. Um, so I think just, you know, exploring, driving around, trying to find like different waves um, kind of caught the eye and allowed me to the opportunity to intern at, at surfing magazine, which is pretty cool. But. Wow. Yeah. So you, that's incredible. So you were direct access to some of your idols working there then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times um, I actually didn't really see that many other photographers. Like you're always out on assignment. So mm. I would, I was given assignments when I was there. So a lot of it was uh, working with like the young and up, up and coming kids, which are now like full on, you know, men now, which is pretty fun mm. to look back. But uh, yeah, so I would shoot like the NSSA contenders guide, which is kind of a, it would be a supplement to surfing magazine. It was kind of like the hot 100 that surfer used to put out. Um, and it was kind of a weird concept to think about it, but like young surfers would get a ranking, you know, and that was, how I guess how likely they were to succeed in the surf mm, industry, which is pretty yeah. to think about. Um, but yeah, a lot of those kids, like, I mean, I, when I was shooting, it was with Kevin, Kevin Schultz, who's a good, really one of my best friends. Mm. Um, Griffin Colapinto was one of the, the young kids. So he's on tour now, okay. uh, which, which is pretty cool. So yeah, it was neat. And a lot of the connections I made as well. So a lot of people like in the industry, I, I think even though magazines are kind of, you know, one by one seem like they're falling off. Like those, those individuals, like the photo editors and, uh, and whatnot seem to, you know, find their way to like other brands within the surf industry, which is really cool. Yeah. It's interesting. You're talking about the, the landscape of the magazine office. I mean, I think, you know, as consumers, we watch television shows and things and, you know, we've seen the scenes where it's like, this big, busy corporate office, like this media mogul, people running around. But then I remember learning, like, for example, with comic books, like most illustrators and writers are working remotely and just e-transfer or transferring files through the internet. I mean, it's not this big internal scene. And it sounds like the same thing here. Like the optics are one thing yeah. but then when you go to it you're like oh it's me in an empty closet like it couldn't be further from the truth that's wow. that, and actually i think that was like my it's funny that you said that because that was my biggest uh i guess kind of like surprise when i showed up in california like you you like you said you'd think there'd be a hundred people that put a magazine together and in reality like it was funny that the publishing company that owns surfing also owns surfer and, and skateboarder and snowboarder and canoe and kayak and paved. Um, so you'd walk in and like, I would say surfer probably had five people on staff. So they had like an editor, graphic designer, web guy, um, you know, and, and a very small office. So like the surfing office was basically a bunch of like office dividers. And then we shared, 
our like office butted up with like skateboarding magazine, which is pretty funny. And then like down the hall was like surfer. And there's a huge rivalry b- between like surfer and surfing. So like I always, you know, my editor. Oh, they were under the same roof. Wow. Under the same roof. So you'd walk down the hallway. It's pretty funny. And like they were, <laughs> it was competitive. So like you'd walk down the highway and like, or down the highway, down the hallway. And like surfer would have all of their issues, like all of the pages in their magazine printed off and just like lined down this like really long hallway. So you could like, you know, on the way to like the break room or something, you could get a sneak peek as to like what surfer was going to put out. And I was, you know, I would joke cause you know, my editor, I'd have to pass his office on the way down to the break room or to the washroom. And he'd be like, you know, like, don't you, don't you talk to those surfer folk? Like it was all like in good fun, but it's, <laughs> I always like chuckled about it. It was pretty funny. Yeah. So I take it like, what about as a freelancer? Are you able to contribute to both or do you have to pick a side? Um, I think as a freelancer, you absolutely, you can't make it if you pick a side. I mean, you definitely form, form like relationships and bonds and, and, you know, I think that's how you kind of like carve out an existence. You would never want to like, I mean, I think people's careers have been pretty shot down. The last thing you'd want to do is like send a batch of photos to, you know, surfer and then send send the same batch to surfing and then they both end up running the same photo. I think that'd be the same, the last Mm -hmm. photo you ever had published. So you have to kind of pick and choose, which is hard. Like a lot of, a lot of times, you know, like you, you do get a lot of no's before you get yeses. So Mm -hmm. it's this battle where, you know, you you send around a batch of photos and you almost have to sit on it until you get an answer from one person saying no. And then that kind of gives you the go ahead to send it to the next. But yeah, that's, there's, horror stories within the industry i think there was a i don't know i'm not even going to name names but there back in the day there was a, a cover two magazines ran the same cover in the same month and i don't think that person ever had another photo <laughs> <laughs> oops yeah whoops and that was yeah. when like budgets were like huge you know it was pretty pretty cutthroat industry um so yeah that was a big no-no so when did your no's start turning into yeses um, I don't know if they even have yet. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would say again, like SBC as a Canadian surf photographer or surfer, I can't stress like how lucky we were to have that magazine. So like I learned so much because it was, it was like a real magazine, like snowboard Canada was, I think it's the first snowboard magazine, uh, Ever, I think I, I could be wrong. Someone will probably really. So uh, potentially, you're saying the first snowboard magazine was Canadian. I'm I'm 99 sure. So oh, I mean, like okay. even I mean the guys like Jeremy and and Malcolm are no slouches. So I would say like even the way that SBC was run in the beginning, uh, even though it was only you know two issues a year, the process was the exact same. Like you still had to like you know, submit low res images to a photo editor and go back and forth. And like, you know, if you did any writing, you'd have to submit it to Malcolm, the editor, which is the exact same process that surfer uses or surfing. So I think I was lucky enough to learn that from the very beginning. So I didn't know anything different, I guess you could say, Um, which I feel bad for kids coming up now because I mean, it's a different landscape for sure. Like digital, there's never before been such a hunger for content. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that content doesn't pay as well as, like, say, a print image does or a cover does. But so that kind content of, used to come out once a month. Now that content's coming out like three times a day. 
Like it's nuts. How do you even keep up? It's insane. I don't know. <laughs> it was stressful. <laughs> like you know, when I was uh, you know in an editor position at SBC before it shut down, just keeping up with like the website or like even like social media posts, like that's a full time job. It's mm. nuts. Um, and the same kind of thing. It's like a, to be on the other side of that, like you know, to keep a steady stream of content, I'm sure it's the same as you with this podcast. Like you have to keep a lot of, you know, irons in the fire because you don't know, you know, who's going to pull out of the last minute or you need to keep it coming. So it's the same thing, I guess, photographers and editors and yeah. Amazing. So was SBC, were they pretty pleased with the fact that, you know, you've been around a bit. I mean, you've had the experience with surfer and surfing um, probably some of the guys from SBC hadn't even had that type of exposure. So um, you must have come like with a, a discipline and and were they pretty pleased with all that? Yeah, I, I, I guess so. I mean, like it was when you're – so, I mean, Jeremy had – he was one of the, the – I would say, you know, when I was listing idols, I would say Jeremy was definitely someone who I looked up to probably the most out of any surf photographer. So – I would say they were pretty, pretty solid, you know, having him in the very beginning. Um, it was an honor to kind of step in and, and take that over. I shared the role with Kyler Voss, who's an, a, an amazing photographer and friend from Tofino as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say like, yeah, they were definitely stoked. It looks really good in a resume. Um, mm-hmm. But to say that I was, you know, better than someone else, I would think that that would be, I would overstep by saying that for sure. <laughs> okay. So you were mentioning, you know, being down in the U S and California and we'll get to the Canadian side of things, but I'm just curious while we're on that topic, what was some of the talent that you were shooting down there or some of the people you met, you must've come across some of the, the greats down there. It's pretty, pretty insane. Um, I mean, the one thing that <clears throat> I guess the biggest takeaway you could say is how good kids are at such a young age so like the average level of surfing in, in like california is insane to me like to watch like the average person is doing like pretty decent turns um and then to see like you know a, a eight-year-old kid like paddle out of lowers and and you do like an air reverse in front of you like that's i've wow. never done an air reverse in my life so <laughs> you know, you're kind of like oh. um yeah, and then I guess too, like just like we were kind of I touched on briefly before, like my role at surfing was to shoot some of those like up and coming, uh, like young kids, and like, I mean, look where Griffin is now, you know, like Griffin was ripping then. Um, Kevin Schultz is another one, like Kevin's, I think one of the most underrated surfers of all time. He came second at Stab High, you know, <laughs> that's pretty insane. Um. Yeah, the level is pretty huge. Just even going into like some of like the the factories, like I was lucky to go into like the Channel Islands factory one day and like we walked in and there's like Dane like giving back some boards and picking up some new ones. So it's just you kind of get starstruck. Same with the office too. Yeah. Like you know, I think Kelly came into the office once. That was pretty mm-hmm. wild. Yeah. Um it's everywhere. It's everywhere you look. So you go to lowers and it's like people go there specifically to be noticed because there's 500 photographers on the beach. So, Mm. you know, you do anything, it's going to be documented. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. So out in Nova Scotia now, when you're out there taking photos, 
Are you usually alone doing that or are there some others that have come out of that? Uh, there's definitely some others that have, that have really kind of stepped up and, okay. um, which I think is really cool. I, I love to see people, um, doing it. I think it's fun. Again, I always tell people like, it's really, really, really hard to make a living at it, but I, you know, I, I definitely encourage and I'm there to like, you know, support or help out anyone who's trying to do it. And yeah, I mean, there's a handful of guys and girls out here now that are shooting some incredible in- imagery. Uh, which is really neat to see. Um, I mean, it's always one of those things too, where you want to be careful about the content you do put out because we do have such a unique, a unique resource, you know, in our own backyard that you don't want to go, you know, geotagging stuff and, and doing things like that. Cause the next time you show up there, there'll be, you know, a bunch of people from New Jersey there, or, okay. <laughs> which has happened in the past. And that's cool. Like I've always said, um, I've always hoped that if I could inspire people, you know, through a photo to like leave what they know, the break that they surf all the time, the next swell to like pick up a map or like take to like Google maps or something and like seek something out and like go, <clears throat> go try and find a new wave and have that experience. I, yeah. I hope, I mean, I'm, I would be happy. That would be a success for me. Like almost more so than like having a photo published, like, just getting people outside and, and, you know, encouraging that kind of like hunt and, and search is, is pretty neat. Yeah. So going back a little bit, you were mentioning about, you know, the uniqueness of taking surf photos with there being snow in the picture. And so I think as a Canadian surfer, I mean, of course, I love the, you know, a picture of Laird Hamilton coming down, you know, Jaws and these massive waves and things. But I too, there's something special about those Canadian images, I think, just because they don't, um, they don't sort of fit into the status quo of surfing as to what you expect with palm trees and, and tropical locations. So I can't recall if it's a Jeremy Kresge photo or a Kyler Voss photo but there's that one they use as a postcard in Tofino with Pete DeVries, just ripping that wave with the beautiful tree line behind him. Yeah. And then the <clears throat> snow capped mountains. I mean, That's to me, Jeremy... that has sort of become iconic. Oh my God. Absolutely. That's a Jeremy Kresge photo. That was on the cover of surfer magazine actually when, when I was interning it at, so that same kind of like era, which is pretty cool to see that come out being California and experience it, you know, kind of feeling detached from like the Canadian surf scene, yeah. but then seeing that like on, you know, you're the, like one of, I would say the most iconic cover in surfing, mm. you know, uh, was pretty, pretty wild for sure. That must've felt pretty good. Cause I'm wondering if back when you were there, did you ever get ribbed a little bit like, Oh, Canadian surfer, like give me a break or not, not really. Like you think, and and I kind of thought that that would happen too, but it's, you're more met with like curiosity. So like everyone wants to see, and like, once you, I don't know, like once you start pulling out your phone and showing people like a couple spots and like some waves, like everybody wants to come and visit. You can make a million friends just because you show them a, you know, a pretty, epic wave or a perfect point or something with no one out that blows people's minds mm. you know right there and then the fact with like the landscape and the experience like we were talking about it's a pretty easy sell 
But yeah, I actually thought that too, like showing up that there'd be uh, almost like you'd have to prove yourself as a Canadian surfer to be like, or even a photographer, like at the same standard as like, you know, the rest of the world for whatever weird reason. But I didn't find that at all. Okay. Uh, which is kind of cool. actually. like thinking. Yeah. About well, and you're also in California too. So it's different People, vibes there as well. That's true. People are pretty, pretty easily impressed. Like I remember my roommate, um, when I was in California, he wouldn't surf, you know, if, if he had to wear a beanie or a toque in the morning, like he wasn't going surfing. Okay. <laughs> if people are pretty temperature, temperature sensitive there, which I always got to chuckle at. I was like, man, yeah. you would die in Canada. Like, yeah. You know. So try to sell that six mil wetsuit. That's not going to happen. Not at all. You know, like you watch, I always got to chuckle too out of like, you know, pros that come up. Uh, I think Jamie O'Brien was in Tofino couple of years ago um we've had you know our fair share of like traveling pros come through nova scotia and like it makes you realize how good like the logan landry's the nico manos you know the pete devries the rafts um how good they actually are to do what they do like in a five mil wetsuit is like pretty nuts yeah i've watched some like really talented surfers like completely fall apart you know when they put on like a yeah actually like gloves like that's a weird one um or just like the flexibility of like a five or a six mil wetsuit like it freaks some people out it takes on a different whole presence doesn't it like it, it really does. adds another i know sometimes i feel like i just doubled my body weight like your pop-up and everything it, it changes definitely and then the, i guess like the you could say the opposite happens. Like when, when we all go South, you know, you, yeah. I know when I, whenever I try and surf without a wetsuit, I just even like paddling out, you know, your board sliding everywhere. You don't have that grip from like, you know, the neoprene on the wax and yeah, stuff like yeah. paddling out. Uh, it's pretty funny. Or boots, so, I know. So how does surfing, you know, being around all these, you know, such big talent, how does that affect your own surfing or your own, uh, mind and ego when you go out surfing oh i i know i'm very like intermediate average surfer i'm totally fine to live there for the rest of my life and on it like i don't it, i always if i surf five times a year i would consider that a success i love it i love it those five times and it's not that i'm you know i'm at pretty much any time there's swell in the water here like i'm out shooting surf it's just for me like the passion is like shooting it which is weird because I do, I've, I've absolutely love surfing, but I, even when I'm surfing, I feel guilty that I'm not shooting. So it's always like mm. nagging at the back of my, um, at the back of my brain, but wow. I know I'm a very intermediate surfer. I've, I think I did an air once I got towed. I did a toe at Logan towed me into a wave and I think I did one air and I, I mean, I could retire right there. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty awesome. It was probably the most disgusting looking, you know, tail low, but I bet I didn't even, my fins probably didn't even come out of the water, but wow. whatever, there's no picture. So it was great. <laughs> right on, right on. So when you're out there taking photos, are you on a surfboard as well? Or are you swimming fins on? What does that look like? Yeah, usually swimming, um, okay. just with fins. I, I like. There's different. I know guys like I think Seth Stafford actually used to swim out on like a, a bodyboard. Um, he just liked that. You know, it, you're definitely a little more maneuverable. You can swim around, get places quicker because that's. It's really a, a team sport at that point. So, mm. you know, 
as much as a surfer needs to perform, like you as a photographer, like when you're shooting in the water, like you kind of have to position yourself. There's no, no second chances. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of like communicating going on. So like, you know, if someone paddles into a wave, you kind of are trying to anticipate if they're going to do an air or a turn to like, you know, get where you need to be. So like when that section pre presents itself, you know, you can get the best kind of perspective or angle at it. Um, I, I, I think you could totally, I think a surfboard would be a little hard. I think you would probably destroy it because camera, the housing's like mine, these mines made of plastic and there's tons of like metal pieces on it. Like I think the first wave that, you know, you try to go under, I think you'd put a huge dent in it, but definitely like a foamy or I've often thought like even going out on like a stand up paddleboard, just getting a little bit higher, like that higher perspective or shooting from a jet ski is like pretty, pretty okay. neat. I've done that a couple of times. Just getting a little bit more elevated out of the water creates a cool perspective. It makes things look bigger, actually, for whatever reason. The higher you can shoot, that was one of the, like my takeaways from like interning with some of the guys in California. Is like you always like when you it's when you look at a surf magazine now. There's a, it's kind of one of those things that you'll be cursed with. But more times than not, if a surfer or a surf photographer is high on the lip line when someone does something, it makes the trick or the wave look bigger. It's it's a real struggle to shoot up at someone doing something at the lip versus like coming down and like holding your hand as high as you possibly can, like on the precipice of the wave and shooting down. It always just, I don't know, it makes things look bigger and better. Mm. Um, then we need you on the Great Lakes, man. <laughs> I've always said that. <laughs> it's like, oh, even like being an editor of like SBC, like I, I kind of took on the role as like, you know, including the great lake stuff and i've i've always wanted to come and like and shoot it i think it would be super cool because that that's a challenge like you guys get epic waves i mean there's same as nova scotia i mean we get very mediocre days too and it doesn't mean you can't accomplish something that's you know yeah visually you know captivating on like a an average day yeah um so. but it's very much like fishing sometimes you know like it was epic to you. You go home. You should have seen the size of this thing, you know, and then you get the pictures out and it's like, yeah, like chest high or, you know, knees or something like it's, it's a little, it's a little different. And uh, yeah, but I will say um, like back in the early 2000s, I remember hearing guys from California, like I remember Jack Johnson was doing an interview once and, and different people. And Great Lake surfing was a joke, but now I've really heard that turnaround, like some pretty high profile people talking about wanting to come to the Great Lakes or they've been on the Great Lakes and it just shocked them. Um, so there's definitely some, some picture worthy moments here. I think it's just the planning here is it's tougher yeah. here. It's not as predictable as the I other. can only imagine. I can only imagine because, like, even we talked about how fickle the Atlantic Ocean is compared to, like, the Pacific Ocean. So, like, yeah. scale that back because the Great Lakes are essentially, like, mini inland seas. So just that swell window, like, where we always, you know, some we get a lot of one-day swells where, like, the waves will be great for a day and then they're gone. Whereas, like, I feel like for you guys, I mean, I correct me if I'm wrong, it could be, like, an hour. Like, you might have an hour to get there to, like, get the waves before they're gone or blown out yeah. or, or something, which 
to me, like the dedication, like I, my, I have the utmost respect and admiration for, for Great Lakes surfing. Like it's a, like the temperature, like we in, in Nova Scotia and I can vouch for Tofino as well. It's never, if you get a day that's like, you know, minus 10, that's, that's a cold day. Mm. Whereas I feel like that's kind of like the, you know, that's the rule in, in, in the Ontario or like central, you know, Canada, that's not the exception. Like you're yeah. dealing with like way more extreme climates than we are. Yeah. Um, ice in the water, like all that stuff. Like I saw a couple of photos of even like guys getting in and out of the water on Lake Ontario. And I was like, no, that's nuts. There's like, you know, ice chunks inside the cars just like floating around, like on the, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely a little different. So when I was talking to Dom Domic and Noah Cohen last week, they uh, dropped some very exciting news on me. And that was that Surf Canada is planning some type of competition or event here on the Great Lakes. That'd be cool. Yeah, man. So you might have to uh, keep your ears open for that. That could be potentially an opportunity for you to be, be here bad. doing some shots. Yeah. That'd be insane. That'd be really neat. I mean, the logistics of pulling that off, I would, I don't know how that's going to happen, but I'm fascinated by the idea. Yeah. I just don't want to be the one forecasting and making the call. Be like, okay, you got to come. You got got to be here in an hour. Yeah. I do not want to be that guy. I'll get involved however I can except forecasting. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that's really cool. I think that, you know, I know a lot of like, even Kevin, like I think Kevin's gone three or four times to surf the great lakes now. And and it was like a bucket list thing for him. Like it was something that he really wanted to do. Like Rob Kelly's another one, Ben Gravy. Like, I mean, Dane Gadaskis got some absolutely nuts waves. It looked, I don't know. That was, you know where that was? Was that like Michigan area or? Uh, I haven't seen his video. Yeah. I watched the Ben Gravy one though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but a surf contest on the lakes, that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited for that. I think that's going to be really cool. So, man, uh, taking photog- photos of surfing, how does that compare to, you know, wedding photography or taking photos out in the bush? I mean, um, is it a whole nother, like when you're taking regular photos, are you like, oh, man, I wish I was in the surf? Or do you find satisfaction in other venues? I'm pretty lucky because I've never had to shoot weddings. Okay. <laughs> Honestly, I could count on one hand the amount of weddings I've shot. And that's, wow. that's enough for me. I don't need to do it. And that's, I, a, that's a rarity, isn't it? Cause it's yeah. like everyone who's a photographer has a wedding portfolio. Oh man. For me, it's like soul sucking. Like okay. it, it, I've shot like, like I said, maybe, you know, five or half a dozen. And like two out of those were like, really fun you just like you get like a a, you know a great couple that is down for things and like you know but then you get the people that just like you know you swear like they're like why am i even here like every time you like ask them to do something it's a nuisance you know like that sucks like my stress level and anxiety like anxiety and then you know they're the first to complain when they get their batch of photos back and they're like well you didn't get this you're like well i couldn't talk to you because you want to chew my head off every five minutes so i've been lucky to like avoid that as a photographer and really just focus on the stuff that like, I guess inspires me. And that would be like a, definitely the hard way to do it. You can make a lot of money being a wedding photographer, which in return 
you know, can allow you to like have really nice camera gear, or, like take those mm -hmm. like really fun trips and like experience. It's definitely a trade where like I tended to like stick it out, shoot like the outdoor lifestyle stuff, <clears throat> getting into, you know, more like commercial photography, which takes a, a longer time to kind of get established. Mm -hmm. Um, but I wouldn't have it any, any other way for sure. So I'm lucky. Like I feel the most comfortable shooting surf, but I shoot anything. Sorry, I got a dog with a squeaker. No problem, man. <laughs> I'm happy to shoot anything outside. Like using natural light is like, that's, that's my wheelhouse. That's where I get excited. Mm. Um, I feel really uncomfortable. I just shoot like a, for help. I didn't shoot a single photo, but I definitely use a steam cleaner. One of my one of my duties when I was at the magazine was helping with the board chart buyer's guide. And I wanted to neck myself. It was the most boring thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> Just, Just like being... static shots of board, oh, of board my charts. God. Yeah, it was horrible. And like every board short like had to be steam cleaned before I went up. Uh, and like, oh, I was wretched. It was horrible. <laughs> but that's like, I mean, people make a lot of money doing like you know, product photography. That's like that's, someone's full-time job. But for me, I was just like, couldn't get out of there fast enough. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Now, another exciting topic you do is uh, fishing. Love fishing. A lot of fishing actually, photography. Yeah, I've actually said if I could trade fishing for surf, like if I could, you know, shoot more fishing and, in, you know, trade some of the surfing stuff off, I would great like grab, happily do that for sure. So why do you say that? I don't know. It's just, it's different. And I think there's a, a crossover, like just using like the water housing and like shooting <clears throat> some of the same angles that like, you know, not, not unlike a wedding photographer, like when you're a surf photographer, you kind of like, you learn different angles. You learn like, you know, the, everyone has like a repertoire of things that they know work. They've had success doing them, whether it's, you know, the creeper angle through the trees um or like i said that high like looking down on the wave angle so there, I've, I've learned all this stuff over the years from shooting surf so like the transition from that into kind of like a new genre is like really exciting for example uh, that classic photo it never gets old for me the shot of the camera sort of half in the water half in yeah, the air over unders know? yeah that's what they call yeah. it you got the board yeah. and the fins and I've noticed that translate to, to people do that same kind of thing with a fish. A hundred percent. Yeah. It, yeah. It's really cool. And it's actually neat too. Like, you know, that, that type of, of photography helps kind of like tell a narrative of like, you know, proper fish handling. Like mm. we in, in Nova Scotia, a lot of the fishing I do is actually for like Atlantic salmon, which uh, is a fly only kind of endeavor. So you can only fly fish. It's catch and release only. So, um, you know, we're going through a debate right now where, whether or not the Atlantic salmon should be listed under the species at risk act in Canada. But so how you treat those fish when you hook them is like paramount. So if you can show, you know, even through an image, like, Oh, like this person's a really great angler. And like, they didn't take the fish out of the water. You know, I hate when you see those pictures of people holding fish, like shotguns, you know, like, no, oh, no, yeah. put it, put it down. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Um, so yeah, that's super cool. And just like the adventure that comes with the fishing, like any time I can spend in the woods or like, you know, on a river or a lake or in a boat, it's, it's so rewarding. Like I couldn't think of anything better. Same, same with surfing. Like again, that pursuit, that chase, seeking out like new, 
new fishing spots is not unlike finding new surf spots. And then once you find them, it's not unlike surfing where you don't want to share them with anyone or give them up. I find pretty funny. So like the parallels between surfing and fishing, I think are limitless. It's basically the same thing. So, so you and Logan both have a profile on uh, the Jack links website. And it <laughs> says something like, you know, what's your favorite type of day? And, and both of you say something like surfing, fishing, chilling out with family, drinking coffee, whatever. And I'm reading that and I'm like, yeah, that's it. That's the dream. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what I want to be doing too. And you guys have sort of figured it out. You've kind of cracked the code, man. I mean, I give you applause for that, dude. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to have to talk more offline because uh, I, I, mean, I need to know how to tap into that. <laughs> well, it's, it's, uh, I think you have to be incredibly, um, stubborn almost i don't know if mm. stubborn is the right word but it's one of those things where like i think a smarter person would have given up years ago there's mm. definitely have to pay your dues and you know there's been months where i felt like i didn't have a job and i was just spending money so you know okay. there's definitely those those months but again it comes down to like you know good things come to those who wait and and stick it out and if you stay true to yourself and like you know follow your passion like you can make it happen yeah. that's well, Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say, that's why I was joking with you before. Cause like every year seems like it's getting a little bit better than the year before. And that, that's all you can ask for, you know, mm -hmm. like even if, you know, the first year I had one, one photo published to like, you know, now working with brands like Jack links and Yeti and, and stuff like that, it, it goes to show like, if you hang in there and tough it out, like you can make it happen. Like anyone yeah. can, which is cool. Well, what I think is interesting about, you know, what you're doing and now what I'm doing with this podcast is we're putting out content. And once that content's out there, it has a life of its own. And you might sort of forget about that photograph you took. Um, and I'll forget about, you know, this podcast episode specifically, but it lives on and other people are finding it sporadically. And so I find that interesting when people discover something months later and they're, they're looking you up saying, Hey, I checked out that episode. It was so awesome. So I don't know. I feel like in those moments where, cause you go through the real adrenaline highs of doing this stuff of meeting cool people like yourself to then what am I doing this for? Is there any payoff? Is this just a hobby? Like, what am I doing? Um, but then when those voices come out of the shadows, like to me anyway, it makes a huge difference. It's like, okay, someone's listening. This me, this is something bigger than just me. It means something to somebody else. Someone else is getting satisfaction out of it. And to me, that, that's an incredible feeling to know you're providing 100%. that. Yeah. I think even like I have a lot of, you know, I listen to a bunch of your uh, podcasts today actually we're doing like a renovation here at home and I, I put it on and and just like let it play through and like you learn so much about other people like in mm. in the industry like I've always said like you don't have to be an amazing surfer to have an amazing story and like those people I find you know incredible there's a guy you had on you know was talking about like boards that he was building specifically for the Great Lakes and like mm. design and stuff like that like that's rad that's so yeah. cool um yeah. So I have a lot of admiration too, for like the stuff that, 
you know, creators or even content creators and, and stuff like your, like yourself. Cause I think without people like that, there's a lot of stories that would probably go untold, you know, like that's yeah. kind of a shame. And like, even like listening to it, like I've always said, I think people would disagree, but I think the more people that get into surfing or, you know, even fishing for that matter, I mean, it's one more person that cares about, you know, the, the great lakes or the ocean or, you know, the survival of, of a species like the Atlantic salmon, like the more people interested, the more, the bigger, the voice that, you know, the more ad, advocates that that has, yeah. so to me, that's always a plus. So I had no idea till I got here, um, how big of a deal that is that you just said, I kind of, you know, for someone who started surfing the great lakes so long ago and seeing what it's become, I was super stoked. I was on board with it. Um, you know, more industry, um, whatever. I was really surprised to come across the resistance. I mean, I get it, but I don't know. For me, I have a hard time coming from the ocean and just hearing about spots being crowded. And I go there and it's like 15 people and like someone's bent out of shape over that. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe my perspective is a little different than you. Like it doesn't seem overcrowded to me, but definitely I get it. People, it has been a hidden gem for so long. And now the reality is there's more people getting involved, but I'm like you, I think as long as you provide the right spirit and the right education behind it, but there's always going to be bad apples at the party. I mean, that, but that's a part of everything, no matter what you do. That's yeah. part of it. Otherwise, what do we do? We don't do it and then it dies and it's forgotten about. It's no. I think there's something like what you, I think you just kind of hit the nail on the head there. It's like surfing, fishing. It's, it's a limited resource. There's only so many waves and only so many fish. And like, there's a sense of entitlement that comes with, it's almost bred into our sport. Like, where you know there's a seniority like if you're a local and if you've been surfing there your whole life like that <clears throat> gives you more right to the resources which i i mean i guess has a place for sure um and i think those people definitely serve a purpose to, you know kind of like surfing has its own regulators and and rules and that's kind of what makes everything work in a sense but yeah i'm with you i think that there's some people out there that just they don't see the bigger picture. Um, I get it. Like I don't want, <clears throat> there's definitely, you know, spots in Nova Scotia or even like around the world where, you know, they're kept secret, but that's like, I would never the same way. I would never, you know, geotag it. I would give people advice. I wouldn't tell them exactly where it was, but I would, I definitely wouldn't throw seven shades of smoke. You know, I would say, yeah, you know, go check this section of the coast. I'm not going to tell you where, but like, take your tent. You know, get a couple hot dogs for the fire. Yeah, I don't some s'mores if that's your flavor, and and go have a like make an adventure of it because that experience of like going and finding it and like working for it yourself is going to be way more rewarding than me just like dropping a pin for you. Like to me, it's yeah. it, surfing is bigger than just finding and going and surfing a wave. Like, there's way more to it hanging out with friends yeah. like there's magic you know like you're missing the point if that's all you're out there trying to pursue you know like might as well take up golf yeah there's a guy here on the great lakes he was in a short video his name is eric wilkie and uh i'm not quoting him exactly but he makes a comment in that video that 
surfing for him starts the moment he say puts his boots on to go outside or even checks the weather online it's that whole experience of traveling to the spot meeting up with your buddies all the endurance to get there you're right it's i think that's part of the appeal right it's that adventure it's you know when we were kids we're playing cops and robbers and stuff i mean this is an extension of that um, play still and that search um yeah do you guys find like do you have a, a lot of localism and, and like stuff like that on the Great Lakes? I've always wondered that. So, you know, in my five, six months being back here, 95% of my experience has been positive and lots of stoke. And I've noticed this um sort of playfulness with Great Lakes surfers that, you know, in other parts of the world, if you called someone a kook, like that's a really bad thing. But here on the Great Lakes, I think that's sort of embraced. Yeah. It's like we're all kooks and we're cool we with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like we're same here. Everyone's a kook. Yeah, like we're out playing in freaking freshwater lake. You know what I mean? So yeah. generally, it's really good. But there's always stories of, yeah, this break belongs to me, like anything else. But I'd say it's it's the minority. But the spot thing is pretty real. I was surprised, like people kind of coming down on me a little bit, even for naming a city. Like it's no mystery that Kincardine has surf. So when I say surfing in Kincardine, I mean, but anyway, to some people that's still a big deal. To me, I think, okay, I think we got to move on because they're establishing that town as like Ontario's surf town. So. You know, it's funny too. It's almost like making a stink about it like that is almost like creating more of an interest and more of a buzz around it too. Like, it's almost like it has like, you know, it's, it's almost creating the, the opposite effect of what they're trying to do. You know, it's like, Oh yeah, I want to check that out. It's like the forbidden land, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. But I've just, I make sure I align myself with the right people. Like Larry Cavero, for example, like there's the, a man <laughs> yeah he's like the king of stoke you know if he's doing it then it's okay for me to do it too he's promoting the heck out of surfing and he's being a good role model while doing it um, he's not abusive with the way he treats people with the way he treats spots it's all about respect so yeah. i think if you if you take your approach from someone like that then then you're in good hands I agree. I would, yeah, I fully back that. That's, I hope the way that I am perceived or like the way that I operate, because again, like it's such a, like, again, it's easy, you know, we all have off days and bad days, and like, you know, who knows what someone's going through in their life, but you, to take some, something away from someone else's experience, you know, in the water, it's like to me pretty sacred, you know, like, that person can be have a shitty day too. And like, they're just out there, you know, they don't need to hear about your shit. Like they're recharging, yeah. you know, like I, yeah. Well, and the, the territorialism that comes with surfing. So think about baseball. No one would ever say to you, you have no business playing baseball. Actually, no, let's say hockey as Canadians. Yeah. You have no business playing hockey. No one would ever say that to you. It's like a rite of passage in Canada or it's a choice. You do whatever you want. So who cares? 
it's the same thing with surfing. Like if you have the courage and the gonads to even go surfing to begin with, then that kind of says something about you. I think you deserve to be out there. And then the rest is up to you to take the cues and to, to learn the ropes and to make mistakes and learn from your mistakes too. I got chewed out, you know, when I first moved here, like probably the first time I went out, I was like, okay, well, that's a good reminder. Like you're not always in the right spot. It happens, you know? Yeah. I'm yeah. like you, I'm, I've been surfing a long time. I love surfing, but I also know to stay in my lane. I'm not the best surfer around. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm finding other ways that I can contribute to the culture too, such as this podcast, right? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, I think that's cool. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I've always, that's, that's interesting. I feel like there's definitely been kind of a, and it could just be like a product of like where I live, like obviously, you know, bigger populations of, of surfers kind of dictates a different attitude but like removing myself from like the surf scene in the city and like moving down here where it's like definitely a smaller more like localized scene mm. the camaraderie that comes with that is like super cool like okay most of the, yeah most of the guys have it pretty figured out so like you know some of the places we go are like pretty remote like you know it's not like a five minute walk from where you park your car it's you know yeah. 45 minute walk or something like that wow. and then you show up and like you know, there's one of your buddies that you didn't call him. You, you guys just have the forecast so dialed. You show up at the same spot. Like that's pretty, I find that pretty cool. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Which I'm sure happens in, in Ontario or the Great Lakes as well. You know, like probably even more so like people probably study that, you know, the forecasting <laughs> is, is huge. It's, it's a whole other science. Like I've mentioned this on the show a few times before, the whole stereotype of surfers being like the Spicoli or Patrick Swayze or something like that. It's like so far from the people I've had on this show. Like, honestly, most, most of the surfers I've had on are these sort of like weather nerds who yeah. you know, get all stoked yeah. about a storm <laughs> coming or can explain to you the physics behind it all. I mean, I am, the furthest thing away from that so i kind of rely on on them for that for that side of things so what do you what do you guys use for for forecasting like do you guys use boy weather or yep like windy or something yep yeah exactly yeah and there's one site that's really kind of honed in it's called surf radar i believe surfradar.com and it combines uh windy and wind finder um along with a couple other apps. And so it's really great. It's got these nice, you just sort of scroll down the list of all the surf spots. It's got these green bars when the waves are good. So you can kind of narrow Sweet. it in. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. I'll send you that link after. It's pretty That'd be cool. It's yeah, we use a, really impressive. <clears throat> we use Windy a lot. I find Windy has been pretty accurate. Boy weather too, but like even, even just like flipping between the different charts, like, you know, the yeah. Navy charts and, and stuff like that. But for us, I feel like probably almost there's probably a, a compare like a very similar approach to forecasting. Like for us, it's we look at wind a lot of the times. That's something that like Nico always like hammered into me. Like you know, even though we're an ocean, like a lot of our our systems and storms are local. So like okay, chasing or finding like you know the windiest part of the coast, and then like just seeing if you get that that you know 
wind switch or like die off or something like that. Like we do get a lot of wind swells, even though it's the ocean. Like yeah. uh, that's something that's definitely changed my approach. Don't always look at the ground swells like that. Hurricanes in my mind are like the hardest frigging thing on planet earth to forecast. Okay. Like I've, you know, lost many nights because <clears throat> you show up the next day thinking it's going to be, you know, perfect, you know, eight to 10 foot point breaks. And, you know, it's like knee slappers, you know, hitting the shore. Yeah. Like what the hell happened? Like we did a chase uh, for Red Bull this year with uh, hurricane Teddy, Logan and I. Yeah. The wave, like, uh, wave chasing video. Yeah. yeah. And like that, that's like, they were, you know, it was pretty funny. Cause like the local news was like, Oh, there's going to be like waves the size of like, four-story buildings and we're like holy you know like that, <laughs> you show up at the beach it's like if it was knee high i would have been impressed you know you're like wow. it doesn't make sense you can see the system spinning there but it just wasn't hitting the coast and then within an hour it, it got massive but <clears throat> i find like forecasting those localized wind swells is like way easier i, I would prefer that logan and i always joke we're like oh man hurricane season's a hoax like you might get you know, three or four epic days, but like okay. the amount of good surfing days that happen, like in the winter, for example, or spring, like far exceeds like those like mythical hurricane sessions that we all kind of mm. talk about. Like I would say that's the biggest hoax in East Coast surfing for sure. Wow. <laughs> so under your umbrella of what you do, I've also seen videographer. Yeah. So what are your sort of credits like in that department? What, what kind of things have you done? Um, that's a good question. <clears throat> I, I've always like, I like shooting video. I've never really enjoyed editing video. It's always been like, I've, if I could like shoot something and then hand it off to someone else, I always get really excited at doing that. Uh, I so think like we need to team up, man. I could I edit know, man. all day I mean, long. A hundred percent. I'm, I'm, I literally like have made a point though, to like sit down and learn how to use like premiere pro. That's like, yeah. that was my, uh, my last several months. And I definitely, I've gotten to a place where I can, I at least feel comfortable like putting something out there into the interweb. But, mm. um, yeah, I guess like back in the day I did a couple projects with Red Bull and vice magazine. Mm. Um, I've shot a couple just like action stuff, but like a little, some stuff for like, uh, Patagonia with one of their Ulux wetsuits. And then more recently, I guess I was sent over to Australia for a month to shoot for Rusty, which is really cool. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy, like, for me, like, photography, it, it's, like, an, an extension of, like, storytelling. And, like, video is, like, the ultimate form of storytelling. So I definitely get behind it. Um, I just – and I think it's definitely the way of the future, too. I think anyone – you know, any, anyone who's thinking about getting into photography <clears throat> and trying to make money at it, um, learn how to use your camera to shoot video. Cause mm -hmm. I mean, more often than not, I'll get clients that if I can, you know, produce some still images and some video, that's, a, that's a major selling point. Well, even a couple of years ago, I noticed when Apple created that feature where, you know, you take a photo but it also takes a couple second little clip. Yeah. And that sort of, that kind of changed photography, I think too, even in a small way there that, oh, you're actually capturing a moment. 100%. You know, <laughs> and then people have those little screens they have at home that rotate through the pictures. So yeah. the, the, the whole thing is changing. 
Um, um, yeah, go for it. I was going to say technology is nuts too. Like, yeah, you know, we're getting to a point now where like you can actually, I'm going to say like nothing is perfect, but you can shoot video and then potentially pull a frame out of one of those like, you know, clips or, or whatnot and have like yeah. a quasi decent still image. Like there's, you know, for, for anything like social media or web, like you could pull a frame grab now and it, it's totally passable wow. or usable, which is pretty nuts. Yeah. I mean, the frame rates and stuff that you're shooting at makes it kind of hard to like, you know, if you shoot too fast of a shutter speed when you're shooting video, it gets very like almost like stop motion. It looks weird. So like there's that, you know, golden, golden shutter, shutter angle rule. But I've noticed, I definitely try and do double duty sometimes. Like if we're just shooting a day for, <clears throat> you know, like, a social media like an instagram edit or something like i'll bump my you know my shutter speed up a little bit higher and and sacrifice the quality of the the video in hopes of pulling a frame grab or something like i think that's definitely the future we'll definitely be shooting movies and taking still imagery from it mm-hmm. it's already happening but i think it'll yeah. be it'll be way better yeah especially in surfing i mean it, it must feel impossible to hit the you know hit the button right on the exact moment. Whereas you have that whole yeah. <clears throat> time period. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the cameras that people are shooting on now too, like, you know, shoot 14 to 18 frames a second, which is pretty nuts. Like I, I remember the first camera that I had was like a Canon rebel. And I think it, it shot like three and a half frames a second. And like, it took me so long to get a decent surf shot. Cause like, mm. you know, <clears throat> the difference between like an, an arm being here or here is like the difference between a great shot and, and something that's like worthless. Yeah. Same with like an air, the tail's not high in an air. Like you get, you know, the nose above the lip and then like the guy coming down, you miss like the, or the girl coming down, you miss like the apex of the, of the shot just cause your camera can't keep up. So like I've, I've definitely lived, I've lived that reality for sure. So like having, yeah, having a camera that can, that can shoot faster and, 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 document almost like stop motion like the whole the whole way around a trick or, or something is an added bonus so what is the surf shot that you haven't got yet that you want to get i want to get weird and artsy mm. like i don't know um are you familiar with familiar with scott surface he's like no. a snowboard photographer okay he did some really like you would you probably really dig it but he did a couple like over under stuff he's like a an amazing snowboard photographer but he had like an over under shot um and dustin humphreys too is another like legend he kind of disappeared uh but like scott set up a trout there's like a trout pond and he had an over under shot and there's like a snowboarder doing a gap and so like it literally looks like half a fishbowl you can see this guy like gapping i don't know this pond and there's like trout in the frame too. That was pretty nuts. And then like Dustin Humphreys had like whole underwater scene set up, like on the ocean floor, like, you know, girls riding stationary bicycles or like just weird stuff like that. And then like over under shot would have like, you know, Dion or someone like that doing like a massive punt or, or like to me, like that's, that's cool. Like if you can create an amazing action moment with something like, artistic and creative like to me that's really cool so like you know shooting through trees like that's i guess why i i seek that out i i hate just zooming in and shooting tight i find 
I mean, it has its place. Like, again, if you want to make money, like product photography or stuff like that, commercial photography, that yeah, it's a <clears throat> necessary evil. But for me, like, yeah, I'd like to get weird and artsy yeah. and, and do some, like, cool stuff. I think that would be fun. Just, like, expand the creativity. Yeah. Nice. I will look for that, man. So for anybody listening to the show right now, I mean, one of the things I think as an outsider, when you're looking at photography, you're seeing – you know, Scotty, Sharon, uh, Australia, or wherever it is that you took the shot and you're thinking, man, these guys have the best lifestyle. They're cruising around the world. They're, you know, who knows the accommodations they're staying in. Um, could be <laughs> rich and luxurious, could be a cardboard box. I don't know. But the yeah. perception anyways, is that you guys are just killing it, living it up, right? So what is maybe explain to us like pull the curtain down a little bit on that um and maybe explain for anyone wanting to get into photography maybe especially surf photography what are some of the challenges and maybe what is the reality um and obviously you know you're sitting in a house so you you're paying the bills somehow so things must have worked out over time so take us through that journey a bit um it takes a really long time. It's definitely not. <laughs> I I think like the heyday of surfing is like come and gone. Like there is definitely a point in time where like, yes, that was totally a thing. It was before my time. Mm. Uh, but like when magazines were like in their full swing and, and, you know, remember, I don't know if you were, uh, remember like the Quicksilver crossing or something like that, where they like branded an, an entire boat and a seaplane and like basically yeah, took it around. I remember that yeah yeah it ended up in nova scotia at one point like those were the glory days that's when mm. like i think quicksilver came to halifax there might have been man if there was a hundred people that served in nova scotia at that time i would have been impressed yeah and they had like an open bar like at one of the biggest bars in halifax and played surf movies all night people could just show up and drink for free like that wow. definitely doesn't happen anymore no um and that was before my time so like budgets are tight <clears throat> quite often when you travel uh, more often than not uh, you have to have a big cushion on your credit card because you pay for everything and then wait mm. to be reimbursed and if that's you know 30 days more likely 60 days so there's a lot of like you know you gotta you gotta juggle some stuff around that's just like the industry i find like yeah and do they you know, give you a budget usually? Like you can spend this much on food or are you just kind of hoping when you get back and hand in your receipts that they cover it? Every, I think every assignment and every client's different. I okay. think, you know, my biggest thing would be um, manage expectations. Like, you know, mm. I think anything within like reason is, is generally accepted, but man, it takes a while to get, to get reimbursed. So like that was the one thing that I – was an eye opener for me. Like you have to be like, I'm lucky. My wife is a, she has a finance degree. And like, I think that's the only reason I've survived. Like I get, get budget before I go away on trips. Like you're allowed to spend this amount of money. Like yeah. you know, I save my receipts and she'll like work it out. But that's like, you have to be that person to make it work. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, I mean, even again, you get your little button ready to go, but like, I think COVID is like, the industry is doing well right now. Like brands, if you're an outdoor, you know, I don't care if it's fishing, surfing, biking, snowboarding, skiing, like brands can't keep stuff on the shelves. They can't make it fast enough. So like, there's definitely, 
you know, money, money being made right now. And I think I've been lucky enough to be on the side <clears throat> where these brands are now like investing that into like content and, mm. and marketing material. So, you know, we've been lucky in Nova Scotia to not have um, the impact of like Ontario or, or BC or uh, Quebec as well. So like we had the Atlantic bubble. So I was free to travel. <clears throat> I was in Newfoundland uh, twice this year for different shoots um so yeah like if you could get out and do things like people would pay you to do that for sure yeah. um but yeah when, definitely you can you can make money you have to be incredibly organized and driven and be willing to like eat noodles and bake beans and <laughs> in pursuit of like hopefully making it work honest like that's the honest truth it's definitely not a a glamorous job for the most part so you're taking fishing shots, for example. So how does that work? Do you call up Shimano and ask them if they're looking for somebody? Or does Shimano see your work and reach out to you? Like I think a bit of I think a bit of both. I yeah. think social media is paramount in anyone trying to get their name out there. I don't think it's the way to approach brands. Like obviously like the amount of background noise that goes on with social media, like you know, if you were to write Shimano on Instagram, I would be shocked if you got a, res a response. But, um, you know, shooting good content and tagging a brand in it, you know, more often than not, that brand will notice. Okay. Uh, so, I, like, I always see social media as, like, a an evolving portfolio. So, like, I've definitely got a lot of work from social media. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like I said, you throw a lot of shit at the wall and you see what sticks and <laughs> yeah but then That's someone like yeti are you sort of on like a retainer with yeti like when they need you they say hey go out and do this or no not no, okay. like that would be the end goal for sure and they definitely have photographers doing that but for me of any brand like that is a bit of a slow burn like they want to make sure I mean, their image is everything. They, they definitely have a brand aesthetic. They authenticity. Like if I hear that word one more time, it, it makes me, but it's true. You know, it's true though. Like there is, there is a, a world that exists on the internet of like fake expectations and fake realities. And like, I admire the brands like Yeti that go the extra mile to make sure that like what they're doing is real. <clears throat> they're not, you know, it, I think that's why they've been so successful is like they overbuild all of their products. They're super, super durable. They'll last forever. They, they do an amazing job. Um, and the people that they want to, you know, represent that brand have to kind of fit that bill as well. So um, I've done a couple shoots for Yeti and, and they've been the real deal. Like we slept in tents and spent all day sweating it out in the river. And, you know, that's oh, cool it's part that's the fun though that's like that's yeah. part of that's part of it so i think yeah you gotta have to prove yourself um and just come up with cool ideas like come up that would be my another thing that i'd suggest to people is like if you're really interested in in getting into photography like pick pick something that you want to spend a lot of time so if, it, if it's surfing or if it's fishing it could be like mountain biking or like birds mm -hmm. whatever it is snowboarding and become an expert and immerse yourself in it and learn everything you can about it and shoot every thing. Like I always, the only thing you're out at the end of the day, like we're not buying film anymore. And if you are, mm. God bless your heart because 
know, that's, <laughs> I admire that too. But wow. um, at the end of the day, like just push the trigger, like, like shoot a photo, shoot a frame. The only thing you're at at the end of the day is, you know, your time to delete it if it's not yeah. great. And, and I feel like people forget that, like, you know, everyone's looking for that A plus action shot, but like you have to connect, you know, point A to point B to point C and it's all the moments in between that tell the story. So yeah, you know, that action shot's part of it. And brands definitely notice that too. Like if you're just always posting that hero shot, holding a fish, mm. you know, holding uh, it like I, a shotgun. Yeah, exactly. Don't do that. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know if I answer your question there. Was that? No, that's great, man. Um, one of the things I was really surprised to learn when I was talking to Logan was the idea that in the past, Rip Curl might contact you guys and say, I want you know you to go out, surf at this place, take video, whatever, whatever. And Logan's telling me that that's really changed to the point now where you guys are making stuff and then submitting it to the brands and hoping that they yep. will grab onto it and take it. A hundred percent. Being, you know, taking the initiative to do something is like always, always worthwhile in my mind. Like if you're waiting for someone to give you the go ahead, you're, I would imagine you would miss opportunities left, right and center. Like people I always think that like, if I'm not doing it, there's probably a million other people that would want to take my position and do it. Yeah. So like I have to maintain, you know, the passion and the drive to like keep going and keep doing it. Like there's, it's pretty fun. I don't know how it took us this long to figure this out, but the amount of times that I've sat in the rain filming, mm -hmm. you know, like thermos full of coffee, like soaking wet. I remember watching like a Navy seal documentary on like discovery channel once. And it's like the hyperthermia, tests where they're just like lying like linked arms like you know in the in the in california like in uh i don't know where it is but like san diego and like just shivering to like the point of exhaustion like i definitely haven't been to that point but like mm -hmm. i felt like i was there you know like clenching teeth shivering like you're trying to pan if you're shooting video and like thank god there's image stabilizers because like but you know that's what it takes to get the to get it done really is like you're about nat geo photographers too like sitting in a swamp all day to get a picture of like a certain type of bird or or you know cat yeah. or something and they're like pissing and shitting themselves because they don't want to move or skip yeah, like, really. um yeah it's pr pretty pretty real i guess but yes if you don't do it someone else will so yeah that's what i always tell myself but one of the things with with that approach is it puts you in a pretty vulnerable position. Like you're saying, you put your own capital out there. I mean, you're really your own boss and you're really responsible for everything until you get that payment, right? So yeah. I can see why a lot of people would be resistant or hesitant to just go out there and start making content without that guarantee that it's gonna get picked up on. That's why I would say, like, if you think about if you if it's something that you are interested in doing, <clears throat> just make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Like, you have to love doing it. You have to like, you know, come away with the expectation that like you might, you know, be out whatever you spent on your coffee and your lunch at the end of the day, and like you'll never get it back. Uh, but the experience yeah. you had is like is solid. And like honestly, it is like that. It is a grind. It's fully a grind. And like. The people that are successful are the ones that are like 
really good at selling themselves and like really determined to make it happen. Like that's the only difference. There's tons of photographers that I know that are, you know, have all the talent in the world to make it happen. They just didn't know how to, you know, sell their brand, get their name out there. You know, the hustle. I hate the hustle. I suck at the hustle. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what it is. And like the quicker you can like learn how to do that and tactfully too, I would say, cause like, then there's a fine line where like, you don't want to be the guy that's known as the hustler or the girl that's known as a hustler, you know, like there's those people in the industry too. And I yeah. <clears throat> so, like fine, striking that balance of like being persistent, not being scared to like write a thousand emails and getting like one, one. Yes. Like that's a win. Yeah. And then like following up with people, I suck at it. I, I always hate, I don't want to be like, you know, the guy that's blowing up someone's inbox, but like, that's what it takes. Like, mm. you know, we live in a, in a climate where, like you said, people update their Instagrams or their websites like three times a day. Like, yeah, you know, you gotta be front and center to get noticed. So. Yeah. It can be old news quick if you don't keep up. It's true. Yeah. Shelf life. I always talk about shelf life. I don't know why, but like, that's always something that Logan and I joke about. Cause like, you know, we're always like trying to think of like creative ways to like increase, you know, someone's like, or if we have like a fun project or something like it's relevance or shelf life, like on the internet because they're on social media yeah. or something. Cause it is in one ear out the other. So. No, a little off topic, but I want to talk to you about this because you kind of touched on it a little bit and it's been something that's been coming to my mind lately. I might take some heat for this, um, airing <laughs> this, but I am a fisherman, always been a fisherman, love fishing, even worked on a commercial fishing boat for a while. For some reason, when it comes to like killing animals, there's a bit of a numbness with fish. Like I, I still respect them, but I, you know, doing it properly, it doesn't really strike me. Whereas I'm a vegetarian while pescatarian, so I don't eat, you know, meat, but I used to, and I have no problem with people eating meat. That's totally personal choice. It's, there's no prejudice there, but I do notice though on Facebook and and Instagram and stuff, a lot of times people are posting their uh, hunting pictures on there, like their tax, you know, after a hunting trip and they're holding up the dead deer or whatever. I don't know, man. I think this might be a controversial subject, but for me, I don't like it. I'm like, it's like <laughs> it makes holding you up your dead friend. Yeah, I'm like I don't want to see yeah. that. Like for some, yeah. I think that there's we haven't really explored that yet in our culture. Like there's a huge divide between people who are like animal rights versus the other way, and I think it's fine. You want to go hunt? That's fine, but the ability to like stick it in people's face like that. It's really kind of a wild thing. I I definitely agree. And I've kind of like come, there's a really cool podcast I recommend. I don't know if you, do you know, are you familiar with April Vokey? No. She's, She's like one of the, I would say like most influential, like female, like anglers. Okay. And hunters as well. She has a really cool podcast. Um, but she touches on, on topics like this. And like, you know, I think she even mentions herself, like in the beginning, she was definitely like squeamish to hunting and has kind of come full circle. And I think it just comes to 
I guess respect and like ethics. Like there's definitely like some hunting photos that make me feel really uncomfortable because I'm just like, is it about the harvest of that animal or is it about the trophy and the sport? And like, yeah. to me, if, if you can like promote, <clears throat> and again, I just think it comes down to like intentions, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. but like, I, I think if you're going to eat meat, you know, the most responsible way to go and do that is like, if you can go and, and harvest your own, your own animals, like wow, totally. that, would, that would be pretty cool. And I think there's definitely a disconnect. Like when we walk down that, the meat aisle at the grocery store, like we only see, you know, <laughs> different colors of red. <laughs> you yeah. Know whether, but those so, are lives. That's the flesh sitting it's, there. It's crazy. So uh, I don't know. It's weird. I think that people need to wake up and like understand that like whatever you, you know, if you choose to eat meat, like that was a living creature at some time. And like it had eyes most likely and, and a mouth and, you know, a face. So like, I think there's a disconnect when we go through the shop, like through, you know, to get our groceries. So like, I think hunting can be an eye opener. I don't do it. I don't even have a gun. I don't even think I would ever buy a gun. Yeah. Um, but I respect it. Yeah. I think it, I mean, if anything, it teaches you not to be wasteful, you know, like I hope that's yeah. the thing that resonates. And like, even with fishing, like I, I can't remember the last time I killed a fish. Um, I would, if I injured it, I think that's like a, a thing that, you know, catch and release fishing is great, but is it responsible to catch and release an injured fish that's going to die? Like mm -hmm. that's the same as the person that's out there trophy hunting, you know, like, yeah. I think you need to be ready to do that. It's funny. I was a pescatarian for seven years myself too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've, I've like struggled with this. I eat meat now and, and I eat fish as well, but I think it's intentions. And like, honestly, like it just ethics, like, you know, are you going to use every part of the animal? Are you just doing it for a social media post? Cause if you are, that's wrong. Well, uh, that's the thing I don't understand. Remember a few years ago when, they were hunting those lions in Africa and there was oh, yeah, a huge uproar on the internet about it. Yeah, I, hate I mean, that. when you think about it, really, what is the difference between that and an elk or a moose or like, I just didn't see <clears throat> how, I mean, I'm not saying go out and shoot lions. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is as someone who's not a hunter kicking back, I'm thinking like you guys are making such a big difference out of, the type of animal but essentially the situation still seems like the same thing to me in a way it's kind of crazy too because i didn't know this about elk and again i'm not the authority on hunting but i think like when people actually elk hunt too like if an elk is in like the fall rut which i think is when a lot of times um you know is when people hunt you know elk and and caribou and stuff like that like apparently the males will actually like lick and eat a lot of like piss mm. and it actually spoils the meat. Like even when the animal's alive. So like, you know, I've heard of like caribou that, you know, are in the rut, which is when everyone wants to go hunt them because you can call them out and, and do all that stuff. Mm. Um, but if you, if you don't get them right at the beginning, the meat is disgusting. Mm. So, I mean, I guess like the, the lion versus the elk, at least, I don't know if anyone eats lion and I, I think lions are incredibly endangered. Yeah. So, yeah. That's yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. Like again, like I think there is like, it just comes down to an intention. Like if you're, if your intentions are to go out and, and sustainably harvest meat for your family, 
uh, hats off to you. I respect that. But if your intentions are to go out and, you know, waste an animal in the attempt to like make, you know, content for social media or a YouTube channel, then you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. It's an interesting thing as our culture shifts, uh, as things change, it's interesting to see, um, that come in. I mean, another example that comes to my mind is, you know, I remember like in the past, I mean, buying animals from a pet store, you know, that was a fairly normative thing. You wouldn't think twice of doing it. Now, if you do that, you're like accused of supporting puppy mills and things, right? So yeah. our culture kind of changes, perception changes, we, more education comes in, we start to learn what's behind these things. I think that's it. I think you just touched on it right yeah. there. It's like people need to do their due diligence and like know the whole backstory to like what an industry is about. You know, yeah. like, and to, to really have like, and this goes back to the hunting thing and, and like the harvesting thing, like to really have an opinion, you need to have an educated opinion. You know, you can't just like draw emotions and stuff. Like you need to like take the time, go down the rabbit hole, dive into it, <clears throat> come out the other side with like an educated opinion. And then, you know, there's nothing worse than like keyboard warriors that have thought about it for all of five seconds. And then, Absolutely. As we kind of are coming, you know, near the end here, I've been purposely saved one topic um, for the end. And for I know you, what's that? For the win, for all the house points. Yeah, for all the house points. <laughs> and I'm sure you got to be careful exactly what you say with all this stuff. But want to know what happened to SBC Surf. Um, are we ever going to see it again? Or, you know, what was that experience like? Just tell us what you can as, uh, yep. you know, people um, who really <laughs> cherished that magazine for what it was and, and while we had it anyways. I think that we absolutely will see, I don't, it won't be SBC, but we'll see a reincarnation of some sort of like, you know, surf media or surf lifestyle media. At least I hope, to see that and if anyone is thinking about starting one or doing one like please hit me up because i'd love to be involved yeah i heard of something called permastokes i know right and here i am <laughs> um uh, we're starting yeah. something we got something yeah and i think actually that's how we got connected was was someone through sbc uh a co-worker of mine kind of mentioned that's right yeah matt williams he's been a guy i've been talking to for quite a while with helping me develop the brand yeah yeah. And, uh, I mean, hats off to you. You're killing it. But yeah, with the magazine, like it just, it, it's hard. Print is getting more and more expensive and I mean, online social media and digital stuff is becoming more and more important to brands and it's hard for a brand to invest the amount of money that it takes to sustain a magazine. Cause like it's expensive shipping like honest to God, when you start breaking it down, like how much it costs to ship, like our, our head office, like our printers were in Toronto. So like, imagine what it costs to ship, you know, a couple thousand copies of SBC to like Tofino or, mm. you know, to Vancouver, it's not cheap. And like, I, again, like the, the ins and outs of the industry are kind of, you know, you'd think that like a magazine makes money off of selling the actual copy of the magazine and it couldn't be further yeah. from the truth it's all 
you know, I, I heard a stat once and it, it could be wrong, but if a magazine sells 10% of what they print, that's considered successful. Wow. Um, and it, all the money is coming from advertising. So yeah. like you really need brands to, to step up and, and to, you know, want to, want to support it. And there are brands that do. Um, I think SBC had a bit of a tough go because I think when it closed down the first time, they burned a couple bridges with brands that had paid for stuff that never actually got it. And even that's though right. I forgot about that, it did. Yeah, it went. That's right. Cause for a while, was it ever? No, it wasn't. It was never every month, but I believe it was quarterly at one time. It was. Uh, and, then it, and then it went away it and, and then it became twice a year. Yeah, you're right. It was quarterly. And then in the, the last bit of time, it was once a year. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of like, that was the slow demise of it. Like it just, it takes a lot of money to, to put out an issue. Like, you know, almost probably $40,000 to do it properly, honestly, for one issue. So, um, and I think with, with how, even though it was a different owner at the end, I think just the name being like SBC, like to, you know, the Quicksilvers and the Billabongs of the world that, had invested in something that never, you know, a lot of brands bought advertising that never actually got it when the magazine closed the first time. So then, mm. you know, how <laughs> here comes Scotty Sharon a couple of years down the road being like, Hey, Billabong, do you want to advertise in our Canadian surf magazine? And they're like, well, wait a minute. We already did. And we never, you know, we never got what we paid for. It's no a, return it's on really, investment. Yeah. Yeah. Really shitty conversation to have with somebody. So I think that was kind of part of the demise, but, um, definitely not lack of interest. Like mm. I would say the last issue and, and the issue before that, like it was really well received. People still talk about it, which is really cool to me. Like I'm exceptionally proud of all the contributors, writers. Um, I think Kyler would say the same thing. Like it was yeah. really neat to see it all come together. Uh, what was your readership or subscribership like on that magazine? It was going up. So because it was, it was like, it was dormant for a little bit. So like even social media, like when it's hard to say, because we can't really, I guess you can track. I didn't really have access to those numbers. It would be more people that were selling ads and I was more on the editorial side of it, but yeah. um, you'd have to track like, you know, how many magazines are coming back or like how many through distributors were sold. Um, but online's a really good way to track that. So I think like, you know, when we took it over, there was maybe 2,500 followers on Instagram and like okay. we grew that substantially in a couple months. So, I mean, the interest is there. I think people are pretty excited to see. We did, you know, one of the reasons I know about Larry is like we did a really cool feature about, I think it was called the employment lineup where we wanted to feature people who had steady jobs or like had somehow carved out like a, an existence and still managed to balance their time in the water. Like, you know, everyone knows about, oh, the yeah. Surf. yeah, everyone knows about the, the surf bomb, but like, I want to hear about, we did a, a piece on my buddy um, who's a, a DFO officer and like he became a DFO officer because he loves the ocean. We were talking about that. Um, but it also like, you could explore, like he's constantly on the coast checking waves and like the schedule allows him to spend probably just as much, I'm in the water is, you know, Logan Landry is a professional surfer, you know, yeah. like pretty neat that those careers exist. 
Yeah. Um, and I think that was like, that's the way of the future. Coming up with articles that are less about, you have to pay your, you know, respect and dues to the people who are trying to make a living within the industry. But to me, like there's really neat stories out there that are, you know, characters who are within the surf industry or surf culture or lifestyle. Yeah. Well, I, I do remember that piece. I don't remember Larry specifically only because it, I don't think he was on my radar at that time, but I mean, I have every copy under my bed, so I'm going to have to check that out later. Check it out. He's there. <laughs> yeah. But I think one of the, inter the, one of the cool things about Canadian surfing, and this is a, a testament of it right now is yeah, we don't have the same playground that the U S has. Right. So you're not going to get um, bombarded with, Canadian pro surfers per se, because we don't have as many, right? Yeah. So I think it's cool that our surf culture, our magazines, this podcast, we get to explore, like you're saying, the real people in it. Like not everyone on my podcast has been a, a pro surfer, but someone like Larry might not be a pro surfer, but man, he has got, he definitely has a fan base. He definitely oh, yeah. is known. And so I think that that is actually a really cool thing about Canadian surfing, that you can carve a place for yourself based on your personality. Yeah. And, and even just like, you know, there's people who, you know, maybe artists or musicians or like, mm. you know, who, who like align themselves within that, like, you know, kind of lifestyle or, yeah. you know, and, and I think that those people have really valuable, interesting stories to tell as well too. And, and you're missing the mark if you're just focusing on the pro serving. Cause like, honestly, there's people that I know that can tear the bag out of a wave and they have no interest in ever becoming a pro surfer. It's not even like something that, you know, even if they could do it, I don't think they would like, they're happy you know, they want to be <clears throat> boat builders or they want to be carpenters or, you know, that's yeah. they have a passion for that. The same, yeah. it probably goes back to like, even <clears throat> with me and photography, like I love surfing, but I'd rather be shooting photos of surfing. Wow. So, I mean, I'd never give up surfing, but no, I'd, I wouldn't pick it as like a, I wouldn't, I don't think I would want to be a professional surfer. I don't, don't think I would. But it's pretty great to hear you say the thing I would like to be doing the most is the thing that I earn money doing. That's yep. a pretty good sign. 100%. And, yeah. And I think it's, a, it is attainable for everybody. It's, it literally is just like, you've got to stick it out. And you, yeah. and if something doesn't work, don't give up because if I had given up every time, you know, I was, you know, handed a failure, like I would have quit nine years ago, you know, yeah. like, a smarter person probably would have, I'd have more money in my bank account for sure. If I had to quit nine years ago, you know, but I'm happy. And like, I'm lucky to have like a family and my wife is amazing. Like she's incredibly supportive. There was a period of time, you know, where she definitely floated the team for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so um, she probably still does, but uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's what it takes. Like, and, and I think you need to like value those people in your life and, and, you know, acknowledge it and say thank you. For Isn't there a, a saying like for every great man, there's a great woman behind him or something like that? Oh, for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> for me, that for me, there's several. Like my wife, my mom, you know, my grandmother. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm indebted to a lot of those individuals in my life. Like, I don't think, I think there's a lot of pressure put on people too, by their parents where, you know, a career path, like the one that I've chosen just wouldn't, wouldn't cut it, you know, should have gone to med school or become a lawyer, which, yeah, I mean, might have a bigger house, but money doesn't buy you happiness. Yeah. There's evidence of that all around us, you know, so. Yeah. To hear someone say the thing they like to be doing the most is what they do for a living and also brings them the most joy. I think, I think that's a win, man, for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you. And hey, before, actually, there's one more thing I want to touch on before we go here that I read in your Jack Links file, and that was you have an interest in Sasquatch documentaries. Oh my God, I love them. Man, me too. <laughs> serious, serious guilty pleasure. <laughs> Did you listen to the episode Great Lake Sasquatch? No. Okay, you got to listen to it, man. All it's right. uh, probably episode 23 or something like that. I yeah, interview um, a guy who leads an organization that records sightings around the Great Lakes. Yeah, I'm fully on board with that. I just finished watching like Les Stroud does like Survivor Man does like Survivor Man Bigfoot. And yeah, I'm I'm uh, even spending time in like Tofino. Like, you know, that was like the one thing that I was asking everyone. I was like, so like, is it real? Like, you know, I, yeah, I'm a fa- I love it. It's definitely my guilty pleasure for sure. I'm embarrassed to talk about it. I've never seen a Sasquatch and like, you know, I'm not, I don't know if I'm like a, I think it's possible for sure. I don't, I don't want to rule out. I just think the stories are, yeah. I'm riveted, you know, like I'm on the edge of my couch. Unfortunately, so are you a believer or are you like a, like a Mulder or somebody you want to believe? I'm not a skeptic. I would okay. say that. I think it's definitely possible. I think anyone that spends time in the woods um, and I think there's enough Credible. I think there's definitely people out there hoaxing it for sure. Yeah. Um, but I think there's enough credible individuals, um, and even like some solid science to kind of like. And anyone who spends time in the woods, like, go to Tofino or go to British Columbia and like tell me that like something couldn't disappear into the woods if it if it wanted to. Like, you know. Well, next maybe. time you're in the city, man, just outside of Vancouver, like maybe an hour, is a town called Harrison Hot Springs. And that's a real well-known spot for Sasquatch sightings. And so living in Vancouver for so long, uh, my wife and I went on one of their tours one time. It was called Sasquatch Country Adventures. They take you out on an ATV. They show you where these sightings have been. And I mean, there's an entire island. It's like I don't know, Sasquatch Island or something. A park is called Sasquatch Provincial Park. I mean, there's a lot of lore behind it. Really cool. Man, check out that episode. I don't think you'd be disappointed. Tomorrow, doing home renos. That's that's my, uh, that'll be on the playlist for sure. Nice. Yeah. You know, and and for me, I've always been fascinated by that stuff. And and are you a believer? Yeah, I believe, man. Yeah, sweet. I do. I, I don't see this giant universe we live in and all the creatures in the ocean, I just don't see why it's so hard to rule something like that out. And the fact that they pop up in, in native stories oh, that, and things, 100%. That, yeah. that one really kind of, when I was in college and I was going to college on a native reservation. And when that came up, I had, I had never heard that before. And when I heard that, that's when the light bulb went off. And I was like, okay, yeah. so there is more to this than just, Perry and the Hendersons, like, 
they've been talking about these things through through history. So totally uh, believe. Will we ever see one? That I don't know. Listen to the episode. I hope not. I'd be petrified. But and that's what the guy <laughs> goes into. Have, so have you ever been in on any of those uh, Jack Link Sasquatch shoots with the guy no, in the I hope costume? So. Okay. No, Logan, Logan did a really cool one in Chile last, uh, yeah. not last year, a couple of years ago, but hopefully there might be something in the works. So, because even that costume is pretty freaky, man. Like oh, if terrible. you were standing around that guy, it's a real deal. I guess it travels. I've never seen it, but I guess it travels. There's like, like one guy that wears it because he's like six foot eleven, basically. Okay. And like, it comes in like this special case. It's like it's not a cheap suit. It's you know. I think tens of thousands of dollars in Sasquatch costume, but um, wow. I'd love to see it. I think it'd be pretty cool. Okay. Um, what you just said about the suit coming in the case, I have to ask you one more grade school question as we close <laughs> out. You grew up in Ontario. Some of your formative years were there. Did you have a puppet in French class named Dimoitou? No, but we had a puppet in French class. I can't remember what it was named, but we absolutely did have a puppet. Okay. Yeah. We had one. He's like kind of looked like Grover from Sesame Street, except he was green and his name was Dima too. I feel like this one looked like an elf on a shelf. That's what I would <laughs> I don't know why, but that's what I kind of like. I remember it with like maybe it just had like green pants and a red shirt. I'm not wow. sure. We went to different schools, man. Yeah, it was more elfish. <laughs> <laughs> elves and you guys were too harmonious to have you know house points and competition everyone was just holding hands and yeah kumbaya. making toys together <laughs> yeah, totally. awesome all right man well hey as we close out is there uh, anything that you want to put out there to the audience or are you feeling pretty good about everything i'm feeling pretty good i just I, again i just want to say like thank you to you and, and people like yourself that take the time to do this. Cause like, it's no easy feat and the amount of work that goes on, you know, like after we sign off, uh, you know, editing and, and putting this out there, like that's off to you because I think without, without you, like, you know, there'd be, you're kind of connecting the surf, the surf scene in Canada and, and connecting the community. So thank you. And, and thanks to the people that take the time to listen, you know, like, yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate that comment. Um, that means a lot to me. After 24 episodes, I'm starting to really feel the fruit of my labor now with that appreciation. It's not just some random podcast anymore. It's it's hopefully becoming like a Canadian staple in the surfing repertoire, which is, which is what I want to do. Um, but to do that, again, man, I have to say thank you to guys like you and Kyler and Jeremy, because like I said, I've been fans of that magazine and following all that stuff um, to know that doing something like this is possible. And well, I feel like you guys you. just kind of handed me the torch for a while. And I hope that eventually we can all come together and carry it together. And uh, Absolutely, man. Thank you. That means a lot. And, yeah. Very cool. So, yeah. So, man, hey. I thank you so much for coming on the show, dude. Before you go anywhere, anything you're working on, people should check out or any uh, social media to plug. Yeah. I mean, give me a follow uh, at Scotty Sharon. Um, check out my website and honestly, like feel free to hit me up questions. Like I'm always down to, to help. Um, you know, if there's something I can kind of point you in the right direction, gear or 
you know, send me a picture to check out. I love that. And yeah, there's always projects coming down the line. Um, I mean, the best way to keep on top of that is just through my website or social media. And yeah. Beautiful website, by the way. Real clean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> dude, if you're ever in Ontario, man, you got a crash pad, you got a surf pad. Uh, let me know. Thank you. Um, Same. And, yeah. I can't wait to get back out to the East Coast. The last time I was there was 2008. I tree planted out there for a summer. Just loved every minute of it. Um, oh, well, I want to go back to uh, Bubbles Bar, man. That was one of my gone. highlights. What? It's gone. <laughs> Come on. I don't, no. don't want to ruin that dream for you, but yeah, she's oh. longer there. How long has that been gone? Oh, man, a while. Like, I want to say... I want to say 10 years. It's, oh my I don't know. God. Wow. I feel like when you were there, it probably had just closed after you left. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. man. Okay. Wow. Well, that's God. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Have you ever been to uh, like Sunnyvale trailer park? Is it an actual? You used to drive by it on your way to the surf. They changed like the locations different now, or maybe it's not. I can't remember. Yeah. Like on it, the way it used to be in Anaganish, wasn't it? Or, uh, no, or no, it was, Dartmouth. It's always yeah, so if you lived in the city and, and, you know, drove outside of the city to go surf, you would drive past the set, which is pretty funny. Okay. Uh, wow. so I'd always, yeah, I'd always get a chuckle. And you run into those guys all over the place. Like I was in, I remember when Future Shop was a thing. I remember being in Future Shop and like seeing <laughs> Julian there and being like so tripped out because he wasn't only a rum and coke. I was like, what the hell is wrong with the world? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he was there with his kid and i was like wow you look really normal you're just looking at flat screen tvs <laughs> wow amazing yeah. oh man i i don't know how i'm gonna take that news about bubbles bar being closed that was amazing and he had his like little wooden shed in there and... oh yeah shopping carts hanging from the ceiling yeah yeah it was uh, a real deal okay. if you're not well, you can still get a donor <laughs> all right yeah I guess I'll just have to, you know, Citadel Hill I'll have to do or something. That's true. There was a place there in Halifax called Daryl's, uh, Daryl's Burgers or something. Yeah, Peanut uh, Butter Burger. It's still peanut there. Peanut Butter Burger. It's amazing. Sounds crazy, people, but it is delicious. Mix the that peanut deep. butter up with your ketchup. Mustard. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> disgusting, but tastes delicious. It does. <laughs> yeah. All right, Scotty. Until next time, dude. Thanks for being here and stay stoked. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate being on here. See, what did I tell you? I told you that episode was going to rule. Scotty Sharon, what a treat. Man, he's the man. The East Coast man taking all those awesome photos. That is it for season two, episode number four of Perma Stoked. I hope you all enjoyed listening or watching that one. Again, like I've been saying, mahalo to Scotty for dropping all that knowledge on us and sharing his journey. Not an easy journey, um, but man, he's doing it right on for Scotty. So you can connect with Scotty online, scottysharon.com. He's on Instagram at scottysharon, at Facebook at scotty.sharon, Twitter, scottysharon. Uh, LinkedIn, Scotty Dash Sharon. Who 
like to give a big mahalo to Mark Malibu and the Wasegas for providing our intro music Hey Chihuahua off their 2019 album Crash Monster Beach and our outro music End of Summer off their 2017 album Return of the Wasegas. For more information, visit www.wasegas.com. Mahalo to the Planet Smashers as well and Stomp Records for allowing us to play Surfing in Tofino off their 1999 album Life of the Party. You can visit them at www.stomprecords.com. And to the Scrapes, mahalo for providing Wait and See off your 2018 self-titled album, Scrapes. For more information on Scrapes, visit www.scrapesmusic.bandcamp.com. But of course, mahalo to all you great listeners out there. We are so thankful that you chose to join us for this episode. And we look forward to providing you with even more awesome content in the future. More episodes are certainly on their way, but in the meantime, make sure to go back and listen to our previous episodes. And don't miss an episode ever again by subscribing on the Alexa app, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Podbean, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever it is, man, that you get your podcast, we are there. So please let us know how we're doing. Leave us a rating and a review. And don't forget to share this with your friends and family over social media or by spreading the word in the lineup. You can learn more about Freshwater Surf Goods and check out our products and services at www.freshwatersurfgoods.com. You can even sign up for our newsletter so you can stay up to date on new products, new episodes of Permastoke, events, our surf sup and yoga schedules, and other exciting news. And hey, you can even find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter all at freshwater surf goods. But if you're a part of the surf or sup industry or a surfaholic wanting to connect with your tribe and stay informed as to what's happening all across the Great Lakes and the Canadian surf scene, then join our Facebook group, the All Canadian Surf and Sup Club. And as well, if you've got an idea for a collaboration, you'd like to recommend a future guest, you'd like to invite me to an event or book me to teach surf, sup or yoga, or maybe you wanna carry our products in your store, or your company is interested in being a sponsor of this show, or for anything else, hit me up on social media or email me at Derek at freshwatersurfgoods.com. That's Derek, D-E-R-I-K at freshwatersurfgoods.com. I look forward to next time, Freshies, and getting to know you all better. In the meantime, I'm your host, Derek Hyatt. Mahalo, keep surfing, and stay stoked.